our homes and our family. And Holy Spirit, you are, you're welcome here. You've already been welcomed here. Holy Spirit, touch our lives and touch our hearts as only you can touch our lives. Lord, we just give you the praise, we give you the glory. Lord, it's not by might and it's not by power and it's certainly not by our brilliant intellects, but it's by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Revelation. Just a moment. Those of you that don't bring a Bible, open your phone or iPads or whatever else it is. You know, with me anyway, uh, what's been happening over the last couple of years is, I mean, horrendous really. But there's been some wonderful things as well. Can I have an amen? Amen. And maybe, just maybe it's perhaps the greatest uh, test that we'll, we'll go through in our lives. I lost my house in Cyclone Tracy in 1974, but I don't think it's as bad as what we've gone through in the last couple of years. And I was asking the Lord, you know, because uh, I've been in ministry now for well over 30 years, nearly closer to 40, and uh, I'm asking God, you know, what can we perhaps learn from this? I'm not saying it was God, I'm just saying what can I learn from this? In Revelation, I went back to the book of Revelation, Revelation Chapter 1, first of all, it's not the book of Revelations, it's Revelation. And it's not the revelation of end times, as most people think. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, So if you don't understand who the book's written about, you won't understand the book. It says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there it is, right in the Word of God. You know, as I say, I ask the Lord, you know, the man that wrote this, John. How come John was selected? Why not, why not Peter? Why not, why not Paul? How come it was John? Uh, at this stage, well, what, let me just give you a little background, church history. John was uh, living in Ephesus at the time. He's living under a Roman emperor called Domitian. And Domitian is an ungodly man. I mean, he's in love with himself. Uh, in fact, he thinks that he is God. And he demands that people bow their knees, that they actually pay homage, uh, you know, burn incense to him. Well, obviously, John's not going to do that. So at some stage, as obviously, John must have uh, either been, either been uh, betrayed or whatever. And one day there's a knock on the door and the Roman soldiers come and they arrest him and they take him in chains and they take him to Rome. And Domitian, he comes before Domitian himself. And Domitian demands that he bow his knee and worship him. And John says, it's not going to happen. And so they take him to the Roman Colosseum. You can study it out for yourself. Uh, Anybody know anything about the the Romans were bloodthirsty. They were cruel people. And they take him to the Roman Colosseum. And in front of all these people where, you know, they've thrown Christians to the lions and gladiators have fought. And Domitian demands again that he bow his knee. And he says, I'm not going to do that. And so what they do, they take him and they, they drop him into a pit of boiling oil. Not just water, oil. Now you think about it, if you spill a little bit of oil on you and it burns, it hurts. And so they, they think that they're going to take care of this man. They drop him into a boiling vat of oil 
when he comes up, he doesn't have a mark. Doesn't have a scar. And it so scares the mission that he banishes him to the Isle of Patmos. And in those days, Patmos was like Alcatraz. It's probably the worst prison that the Romans had. There's no water on there. They don't grow anything. It's a rocky outcrop. And, and uh, John is a political prisoner. That means you get no food, you get no water, you don't even get a place to live. And they think that he's going to die there. They just banish him to die. But John, <laughs> I love this, finds a cave and he gets a, a, a church going and by the time that he leaves to go back when Domitian is assassinated, he's got a thriving community on Patmos. And while he's on Patmos, how many of you know Jesus appears to him? Can I have an amen? And he says um, um, in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who, is, who was and is, and is to come. I, John... Both your brother and companion, verse 9, in the, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit. I love that. I was in the spirit. And one of the reasons I'm asking God, how come that you would select John? I believe that John has an understanding of how to pray himself into the spirit. Now, if he is in the spirit, when he gets this revelation, Jesus appears to him. Actually, he falls as though dead. And Jesus tells him to write these things down. And I'm thinking, well, if you need to be in the spirit to receive this, you and I need to be in the spirit. Is that right? To have revelation of what he's talking about. Otherwise, we won't even understand. Think about this just for a moment. I, I, I love this man. I've just been studying. I've just finished the book on John from the from the. Son of thunder to the apostle of love. How do you go from the son of thunder to the apostle of love? You're going to have to have a little bit more than a high, is that right, to do that? You know, and I love this. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. A little bit of background as we go on. After Paul, he wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. Just think about this. He had a revelation that Jesus is not just a Messiah, but he's God himself. Now, a little bit more background. John's gospel is completely different to the other three gospels. That doesn't make it better or anything. All scripture is given by inspiration, but it's different. Matthew, Mark and Luke is what's called the synoptic gospels. That means similar. And they're written maybe within 18 months of Jesus' death. But John's is completely different and is written at the end of his life when he's an old man, possibly, probably a hundred years old. And he writes it from memory. Imagine, I can't even sometimes remember what I preached a couple of weeks ago. Can you imagine at the end of his life and he sits down and he writes his gospel? And it's, as I say, completely different. 65 years later, he lists more of Jesus' words than the other three Gospels combined. If you go to John 14, 15, 16, it's all red letters. And so Matthew, Mark and Luke are writing about what Jesus did, but John's writing about what Jesus said, the words. He actually writes that the, flesh, is that the word became flesh. He's the only one, I believe, that has a revelation of God's grace. He writes in John chapter 1 that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that writes that. And so you get an understanding. I'm beginning to understand maybe why John was selected. He records more of Jesus' words than any other gospel. Think about this for a moment. He writes John chapter 2, the wedding, Jesus' first miracle. He's the only one that records that. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, we must be born again. Only John records that. If you go to John chapter 3, 16, we all know that. For God so loved the world, only John records that. If John hadn't recorded, we wouldn't even have it today. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. John chapter 5, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus. John chapter 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. Not recorded in any other gospel, but the gospel of John. John, I believe, you know, if, and I read this recently, which I like, if the, if, the, if the Bible is, the, is the, the Louvre, then John's gospel is the Mona Lisa. It's the one that understands, I believe, the heart of God perhaps more than any of the others and is written 60 to 65 years after Jesus' death. How is that possible? I'm asking God. How, how, I believe it's an ongoing revelation of God's love and God's grace for him. If you think about Peter, and I'm not condemning Peter, I'm just observing, but Peter operated under what's called phileo love, friendly love. Is that right? Later on at the end when Jesus, before he goes back, he gets Peter and he says, do you love me? Agape, Peter says, I love you, phileo. And phileo love is really selfish love. If you love me, I'll love you. But John has a revelation of God's agape love, God's love for you. Not our love for him. We love him because he first loved us. Can I have an amen? And sometimes I think we, we need that revelation. It says perfect love casts out all fear. The only problem is you're incapable of perfect love. So am I. So we can't be talking about our love. We tell you got to love God more. And you do. But that's not based on our love for God. That's based on God's love for you. The thing I believe that was able that Peter, sorry, John was able to go from a young man, he was just a youth when he first met the Lord, to a man over 100 years of age that serves Jesus faithfully all the days of his life was because of a revelation, an ongoing revelation of God's love for him. Can I have an amen? Can I have a better amen? If you go to Luke with me, Luke chapter 9, Isn't it interesting here? I'll give you a few facts. You can go and check them for yourself. But John uses the word love 57 times in his writings. 57, three times more than than, than Matthew, Mark and Luke. Three times more than that. So obviously he has this revelation of love. In Luke chapter 9, you know, because John wasn't always this wonderful apostle of love. In Luke chapter 9, you pick it up in verse 54, it says here, And when his disciples, James, John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And Jesus rebuked them and said, you don't even know what spirit that you're of. John, so it's okay if you get ticked off with the people you don't like, you just burn them up. (laughs) They've been walking with the Lord. Is that right? And they said, we call fire down these people. Jesus said, and this is when Jesus calls him the son of thunder. So how do you go 
from a man that if you get ticked off is going to burn these people up to the end of his life when he's known as the apostle of love. How's that possible? I believe there's an answer in there for you and me in the days that we're going through today. Think about this. Jesus, I mean, John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's only recorded in his gospel. Matthew doesn't record it. Mark doesn't. Luke doesn't. Only John writes about himself. Hello? And I'm thinking this man is in love with himself. He's narcissistic. But it's the exact opposite. He is so humble, he doesn't even use his own name. He says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. He has a, that's, that's recorded five times. Five is the number of grace. And he has this revelation of grace that carries him through his life, I believe. It's not narcissistic. He's got a revelation. How many of you know <coughs> in the Old Covenant, it says that Moses was the most humble man on the, on the earth. Is that right? Moses wrote that about himself. So again, it must be true because it's recorded in the Word of God. And I believe that John's not saying, Jesus loves me more than he loves you. What he's saying is, I've got a revelation about actually how much he loves me that will sustain you through the difficulties of life. How many of you know, <laughs> uh, <coughs> pardon me, how many know Peter operates by narcissistic? He's in love with himself. He's got his foot in his mouth half the time. Remember what he says? If everybody else quits, everybody leaves you. Is that right? You can rely on the big Pete, the big fisherman. I'll be there till the end, even if it costs me my life. Is that right? And Peter is the first to quit. A teenage girl, is that right? Gets him to run. He even denies he knew Jesus, swears, curses. Is that right? Only one man, think about this for a moment. At the end, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Now you think about this, the horrendous pain that he's going through. He's hanging on the cross there, is that right? And he thinks back and he thinks, well, first of all, I started off with 120. And then we got down to 70, is this correct? And eventually we got down to 12. But out of the 12 was what's called the inner circle, Peter, James and John. But at the cross, only one man stays faithful. Only, is this correct? Don't look at me so super spiritual. Look up for yourself. Only one man ever stays faithful, John. Read it. And he looks down. You imagine those great, big, beautiful brown eyes looking down. He says, well, hang on a minute. Where are the others? Where, where's Peter shooting his mouth off? That even if it cost him his life, he would be there. To the end. Where, where's Peter? Peter's running for his life. But only one. Think about this. They could have taken, they could have killed John too. He's standing, is that right? The Romans are there. They know that he served Jesus. And I love this. And what he does, he takes the most valuable possession he has, his mother. Is that right? And commits her into the hands of who? John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now think about this. Jesus' brothers, his siblings are there, but he doesn't commit his mother into their hands. He commits them into John's. Can I have an amen? Think about this. How come? Because love never fails. Love never fails. Think about this. You know, and this is just me. I'm, I'm not trying to bring any new revelation. But I found that the majority, the vast majority of people that I minister to have no real revelation of God's love for them. 
They'll even say things like, I don't feel worthy of God's love. Well, you'll never be worthy of that love. That's why it's called, hello, it's called grace. Is that right? Oh, I, I like that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's why it's called agape love. Oh, anyway, I like that. Get a revelation of actually how much God loves us, that agape love. There's a huge contrast between the way John operates and the way Peter operates. Peter trusts in his own love for God, which fails him. But John trusts in God's love for him. Can I have an Think about that, you know. What I like about John, his love is natural. It's effortless. It's uncomplicated. From the day that he meets Jesus to when he's well over, maybe 103 years of age, and he dies in that, he's the only disciple who doesn't die a martyr's death. Think about this. Paul has his head taken off. Peter's, is that right? Crucified upside down. Only John, only John is the only disciple who doesn't die a martyr's death. And they tried. They tried to boil him in oil. Uh, I believe that they actually tried to poison him. They banished him to Patmos to die, but they couldn't kill him. He goes back after maybe 18 months on Patmos, which a lot of people think he died on Patmos, but he didn't. Domitian was assassinated, and so the the, the political prisoners were, were, were freed. He went back to Ephesus and took care of Jesus' mother for the rest of her life. Because love never fails. And he writes, oh, I love this. If you've got a religious spirit, it's about to manifest now. In 1 John chapter 3, he says this. If you don't know love, then you really don't even know God. If you don't believe me, let's go there. First chapter. I didn't write this. This is, this is the apostle of love writing these things. 1 John Give me a moment because I've got one hand to turn it over. Uh, Sorry, uh, chapter (coughs) 4. Look what he says here in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8. But he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I don't think he's trying to put us down or criticize. What he's saying is, if you really don't have a revelation of God's love for you, you don't even really know God. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. See, listen to me. How many of you have grown? Are you the same person that you were when you first got saved? I'm not. Thank you, Jesus. We're growing. Is that right? From glory to glory. And so here, you know, you can start off. When I first got saved, I got saved in a Baptist church. They didn't believe in healing. I'm not, I'm not putting them down. I'm just, they didn't believe in healing. They didn't believe in baptism of the Spirit. And so eventually we left and we got in the Pentecostal church and we grew. I'm not the same, I don't even believe the same way. And what he's saying is, if you really don't have a revelation of how much God loves you, you really don't even know God. You know, I'm thinking about this, I'm saying, Lord, are you telling me that I could be even in ministry and not really have a revelation of your love? I don't really even know you. I think the message says you have no comprehension of who God is. There are people out there that think God makes you sick. I've never believed that in my life. There are people out there that think God makes you, puts you through all these terrible tests and trials. Would you do that to your own child? I wouldn't. Anyway, 
And so it's a revelation. It doesn't say God has love. It says God is love. Is that right or not? Look, read on a little bit further with me. <coughs> in verse 9, in this is the love of God is manifest towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has loved us, we also should love one another. Drop down to verse 16, and we've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He keeps saying this. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. It'll jerk the slack out of you real quick. It goes on. <coughs> verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in what? In the day of judgment. Because as he is in this world, so are we. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, agape love, casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in agape love. Not phileo love, agape love. That's all he's saying. You really haven't had a revelation of that agape love. In verse 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You know, the more that I, I, I you know, my life has changed so much. I've had two times that I've actually really had close encounters with God at the time, but two that majorly changed my life. One was back in the 1970s when my wife took me into flying down to Adelaide to hear an American preacher called Fred Price. Changed my life. I'd never wanted to be in ministry. I had no intention. I had a gun shop, fishing tackle shop. I wanted to be Crocodile Dundee, just leave me alone. That's what I wanted to do. But after that day, it changed my life. I said to my wife, we're going to sell our business and we're going to go to Bible school. Hello? Because I, I had a revelation of that. Anyway, but maybe 10 years ago, we were in a church in Singapore. Pastor know I'm talking about. And I'm sitting there on the first time in my life, I had a revelation of God's grace. I'd preach grace. You can preach a message and not even have a revelation of it. You can, is that right? Just get some notes or Google it and get up and it's just like anything else and you can teach it and have no revelation of it whatsoever. But I began, I, I started to cry. I'm sitting there in the service and I started to cry. I had a revelation of how much. God, just as I, I just lost one of my best friends to a heart attack and I was depressed and I'm sitting there and I hear the voice of God, not audibly, but in my spirit. He said, I love you, Cole. I even like you. Hello? And he said, when you confessed your sin, it's not when I found out about it, I've known you since your mother's womb. Can I have an amen? Warts and all. See, Peter's trying to impress with his, with his works and his doing. If everybody else quits, I'll be there till the end. You're right. And he's the first to quit. Have you ever said some things? You know, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing but so many people, it's, it's works. You've got to do. You've got to perform. You've got to make things happen. But John, think about this. The Last Supper. You've seen the picture up there. A Michelangelo's painting of the Last Supper. Long, skinny tables, not like we have. And they tuck their legs up and, and, and they're sitting there. And it says that Peter is at the extreme end of the table. Peter always had that long-distance relationship. But John, it says, had his head on Jesus' breast. Is that right? Look at even the, pa the painting of my... And here he is with his head. He's the only one that hears the heartbeat of God. 
He's the only one that has an ongoing revelation, communication, and relationship with Jesus. Jesus called him his friend. One translation. Not only does John call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, but Jesus even calls him his friend. I like that. And so what, you know, as I say here, what am I learning? I'm learning something. If we're going to make it in these last days, it's not going to be because of what you do. Can I have an amen? It's going to be based on accepting what he's done for us. Hello, can I have an amen? That doesn't mean that you don't do things. I'm not saying that. But where's your trust? Is your trust in how much you pray or how much you give? Or is it in the finished work of Christ? What he's done for you. And you hear that still small voice say, I love you. I even like you. Can I have an amen or what? You know, we love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. You know, as I said, look at John chapter 13 with me. Let's look at a couple of scriptures quickly. John chapter 13, because some people are looking at me quite strange. John chapter 13, look at verse 21. And it says here, when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom spoke. Then there was leaning on Jesus' bosom the one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was who spoke. Think about this. Why didn't Peter ask him himself? I mean, hello, what? Because Peter's at the wrong end of the table. He calls out and he says, John, 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 tap him on the shoulder and ask him who it is that's going to betray. Because John has that intimate, that close relationship. If I can just encourage you in these last days, you and I need, desperately need, that close fellowship, that close relationship. Can I have an amen or what? Whether you're in the ministry, you see the horrendous things that are happening, even to some you know, big ministries, and dear God, we need to pray for those people, not condemn them, not criticize, pray. But hey, you better be close to the Lord in these last days. Can I have an amen? Can I have a better amen? And Peter's always, see, you know, John has that intimacy with Jesus that Peter doesn't have. John chapter 14, look here with me, verse, uh, verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is that right or not? Hello. John chapter 14, 15, 16. Think about this. No one else records all of these words of Jesus but John. If, if John had not recorded them, we wouldn't have them. Obviously, God planned it the way. Think about this. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Only John records that. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I give unto you. Only John records that. John chapter 15, 11. My joy might remain in you. Only John records that. John chapter 16, verses 7, 13. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He will lead you, guide you, show you things to come. Only John records that because he has an intimate relationship. Can I say some things? Because uh, Pastor Dora can correct the theology next Sunday, okay? But he says, I'll send you another comforter that will lead you and guide you and show you things to come. It's unscriptural to go to a prophet today for direction. I didn't say there's not a place for prophets. I said it's unscriptural to go for direction because you have the spirit of truth within you. A, a prophet should just give you confirmation to what the Spirit's already talking. I'm not sure about this. I can go for confirmation. Is that right? But not direction. 
I should be seeking God for direction. Is that right or not? It's a dangerous thing. Anyway, this is just me. And you know, if so, you get a prophecy and the Spirit of God's not already spoken to you about it, just put it aside. Hello, don't receive it until you hear for yourself. This is the area. You know, I, I've been in ministry a long time, passed along. I've had people, I'd love a dollar for every time I've heard somebody say, God told me, yeah, right. And then go and do the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life and still try to convince you it's God. I've had people come and say, God told me to leave my husband. No, he never. No, I don't care if the angel Gabriel, he never. Because he will never contradict the written word. Jesus is the written word. If it contradicts the word, then it's not God. We've had people, you know, the Bible says that the devil will come as an angel of light. He doesn't come with horns and a tail. He comes, is that right, to, de- to, to, to deceive you, and particularly in this day and age. They asked Jesus, what will be the predominant sign of the last days? doesn't say 666 and the stormtroopers are coming. It says men will be lovers of themselves. But it goes on to say, and this, is that right? And many will be deceived. So deception is one of the most prominent things that we will see in these last days. Is that right or not? And so that's why, you know, it's really, this is me, but it's really important to be in a good church regularly in a good church, bring your kids up in a good church that are taught to hear, this is how you hear God for yourself. You know, when I minister to young ministers just starting, what's the most, what's the most important thing I can teach? Uh, most important, how to hear God for yourself. It can cost you your life. It can cost you your business, your marriage, if you don't learn how to hear God for yourself. Okay. Well, we put out a fleece, you put out a fleece today, you're going to get fleeced. There is no anywhere in the New Covenant that it talks about those things. John says, I'll send you. And John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he receives a revelation of the book of Revelation. Is that right or not? So again, there is a lesson there for us, I believe, anyway. In John, um, John chapter 15, verse 13, again. But John chapter 17, go with me. I'm quickly trying to go through these. And this here in John chapter 17 this is Jesus' intercessory prayer. This is Jesus in the garden. This is maybe the most vulnerable time of his life. And let's read from verse 21. And they all may be one, Jesus says, as you and I, you Father and I are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. How are they going to believe if they see we're one? Is it right? And I'm not being critical, just observing but I think the church is probably more divided than any time I can ever remember. Love is certainly not the predominant thing that's preached. It's more about dress sense or music. And I'm not, hello. But the most lacking thing in the church is just a simple love. Love one another. The only commandment Jesus gives us in the new covenant is to love one another. Can I have an Amen. You know, and, and we desperately need that. I mean, I'm not, I'm just myself. We desperately need to understand that again. Instead of bagging people and, you know, Pastor Brian Houston, we should be praying for those people. Our Mayor Tom Tate, the bagging him, you know, we should be praying for them, holding. Is that right or not? I didn't say you have to agree. I didn't say they didn't make some mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake? Or should we have an order call for liars? We've all missed it somewhere. I would love somebody to come alongside of me and support and pray for me. Can I have an amen or what? The world bags you, 
puts you down. We don't need the church doing it as well. And so here, this is in the garden. Can I have an amen? This is the last days, John chapter, and we'll read it from verse 22. And the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be what? One, just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. God loves you the same as he loves Jesus himself. That's what it says. Now get your head around that. Can I have an amen or what? I tell you, you're going to have to pray and, and fast for a little while to get that. Re- you mean to tell me? I'm telling you what the Bible says, that God loves you to the same extent that he loves his own son, Jesus. Whoa, get your head around that. Can I have an amen or what? No, you're not miserable worms. Hello? You're sons and daughters of God. You're made in the image of God. Can I have an amen? And God loves you just as you. I didn't say there's not room for us to improve, but he loves you. For God so loved the world. Can I have an amen? So here you think about this. You know, and what's, only John records this. Remember the story? Jesus is going through the greatest crisis. And he comes back and he says, could you stay awake for an hour? They're all asleep. Three times he says, could you not even stay awake? Can I? This is the big shots. Is that right? I'll be with you till the end. <laughs> and they're asleep. Only John, listen to me, only John sees it's important enough to stay awake to record these words, Jesus' prayer in the garden. The last words before he's going to be crucified within 24 hours and they're asleep. Only John, listen to me, sees it important enough to stay awake to write it down. Think about this. John was the last man at the cross. He's the first man at the risen tomb. The Bible says that is that right? Mary comes and says he's alive and, and they take running. And the Bible says that John outrun Peter. Well, does that mean he's a faster runner? I don't give a rip if he is. It tells me that the motivation of his heart, that he wanted to be the first one there. He was the last one at the cross. He's the first one at the tomb. And he doesn't even use his name. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. That talks to me about humility. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives more grace to the humble. Is that right? Look at Peter. It's the exact opposite. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to sit at the right hand of the Father? Oh, shut up. And John, all he wants to do is have his head on Jesus' breast. And he's the one that's selected to write the book of Revelation. He doesn't ask, doesn't push himself. You know, think about it. Just stop and think for a moment. A man in his youth, a teenager that serves God all faithfully all the days of his life till he's a hundred years old and still serves the Lord faithfully. Is that awesome or what? At the end of his life, he sits down and he begins to write. Now, he's known now as the apostle of love. At the end of his life, he comes back to the temple. And they recognize him. They said, that's John. This is the apostle of love. Oh, awesome. Come on up. Come on up and speak to us. Well, you imagine what he could share. You imagine, you know, what he could list. I mean, a lot of today, is that right? If you're in ministry, if you've got, a, you've got things, I'm apostle, I'm a prophet, uh, got more degrees than a thermometer, doctor of this and doctor of that. Imagine what John could list. I was the last man at the cross. 
I was the first man at the tomb. I was the one that selected to write the book. He, rem- he says none of that at all. He gets up. Now you imagine the people are breathless. This is the man that walked and talked with Jesus. The living word of God. He's the only. That's why he writes in John, if anyone comes in and says that Jesus did not appear in the flesh, it's a lie. Because I handled, is that right or not? I handled the word of life. I was there. He can say, I, I, I'm a living witness to this. No. And then he gets up and he turns and he looks at the people. And he says three words. Love one another. And sits down. They go, whoa, hang on. I'm sure you've got a lot more to share than that. Is that right? I mean, I'm preachers, we're not known for being long-winded. Is that right? Come up again. Come on. There must be so much. He walks up again, takes his time. He's 103 years old, I believe. He gets up and he stands up and he says, love one another and sits down. They said, well, come on. Come back. Come. So they bring him up a third time. If you want to study it out, look at the, the Christian historian Tertullian and you can see it for yourself. He stands up in front of the people and he says, love one another. He says, why would you say that? And he says, because that's the commandment that our Lord gave us. And that's probably the most neglected command that's in the Bible today. Simply love. I'm not being smart, but you imagine if we actually focused and we majored on love, the divorce rate would be halved immediately. Just that one thing alone. My mum and dad were married to each other for 74 years. They're only Christians the last 10 years of their life. Now, I'm not criticizing. I learned more about marriage and family from my parents than I ever learned from the church. You, you can be in the church today, married two or three times, have a couple of concubines and porcupines, and nobody gives a rip. Thank you for your enthusiasm on that point. And, and I'm not criticizing at all. I'm just saying my mum and dad, 74 years. And so I'm asking my dad. My dad was 96. My mum was nearly 100 when they died. I said, how is it possible to stay married to the same person for 74 years. My dad looked at me and said, just learn to be less selfish. See, that would halve the divorce rate, that one thing alone. Agape love, is that right? Uncomplicated. Is that right? Think about, you know, unearned. It's unearned love. Grace, unconditional, unearned, unconditional love. Is that right or not? It's hard sometimes. You know, where we live on the Gold Coast, it's spot the Aussie in my street. You know, I mean, I love it. My, my daughter-in-law's Filipino, eh, Kamusta, you know, and my, my son-in-law's English. And, but in my street, there's only three Australian-born people. I've got neighbours from South Africa across the road, then I've got Sri Lankan, I've got Japanese, I've got Chinese, I've got Taiwanese. Next, I live next door to a doctor from Iran. But at Christmas, we take gifts in hand to everybody. I'm not trying to, listen, I'm not witnessing, I'm just giving a gift. I knocked on my doc's door and I said, hey doc, we're Christians, that means we give gift, there's a gift. He's look, he didn't know what to do with it. He thought it's probably a bomb or what it was. We knocked on every door on our street, every door. And my, the Japanese people, they can't speak much English. I, my Japanese is limited to Honda and Toyota. <laughs> how, do I, how do I relate to the people? but they know kindness. I said, here's a box. Next day in my letterbox is a pile of cards. Thank you for your kindness. I'm not being smart. I drive up the street. People wave to me. They love my dog. How's that? Because it's called agape love, unconditional love. I'm not trying to 
That, that, I'm not trying to make anything different. I just want to bless the people. Can I have an amen? Imagine if we actually live by unconditional love. If you don't know love, he says, you don't know God. You really have no comprehension of God. Some people, is that right? Their God is a legalistic. Before we were saved, we actually studied with the Jehovah's Witnesses for a year. Jehovah's, you know. And men, I mean, I, and they, they, I'm not knocking. I'm just observing again. Hello. And they're very diligent people. But they do it because they're scared. It's fear that motivates them. They don't know where they... I say to them, when they knock on my door, I say, do you know where you go when you die? They go, well, uh, not really. It's all based on our works. And I said, no, it's not. It's based on accepting what he's done for us. And I've probably shared before, but when it's your turn to minister, do it your way. But I go to a, a barber on the Gold Coast, and he's an Italian. Luigi is obviously he's not Irish, you know. And, and he's rough as bags. Every second word's a swear word. He breaks up kangaroo expletive ruin, drops a, a swear word in the middle, you know. And so, but he's a good barber, so I go there. Anyway, I go this day, and he's away. And there's a lady barber. She's rougher than he is. I mean, tattoos now. If you've got a tattoo, that's lovely. I've got no problem. I just don't want one. I don't like needles. Would you slap a bumper sticker on a Ferrari? It'll come to you in a minute. Anyway, and so, you know, and, and she's up there and she's swearing and going on. And I'm, I'm just, I'm minding my, I'm reading a book. And she looked up and said, hey, mate, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister of the gospel. So the swearing all stopped. So now she says, well, what about God? And here we go. How could there be a God? There's people dying, Ukraine. I said, lady, just stop. I said, look at me. Look at me. I said, look at me. I said, God loves you just like you are. I didn't say she's saved. I said, God loves you just like you are. She said, well, you don't even know what I've done. I said, it's not based on what you or I have done. If it's based on that, I don't qualify. It's based on accepting what he's done for us. Every other religion on this planet is based on them doing something. Only Christianity is based on accepting what Jesus has done for us. I said, look at me, lady. I said, God love you. She started to cry. Right in the middle of the barbershop, she's crying. They're all looking at me. I never touched her. I never laid a hand on that woman. <laughs> Two weeks later, she turns up at church. I never asked her. I never invited her. She just obviously saw something lacking and she turned up at church. Isn't that right? It's just simply about love. What the world desperately needs is just some love. I don't mean to be rude. We don't need another word. We don't need another prop. What we should need. You know, I've got a friend that's taking ambulances into the Ukraine. Food and ambulance. He's an Aussie, lives, married to a German fellow, a German lady. Anyway, got that right. You know, and he said to me, you know what? He said, Cole, what amazed me? He said, I went to Ukraine. He says, there's bombs going off. I can hear rockets and bombs. He said... They said to me, he's a pastor, he said, Pastor, we don't need another prophecy. What we need is reality of Emmanuel. God is with us. The love of God. Can I have an amen? In the crisis of life. Man, I remember when I thought I was going to die in Cyclone Tracy. What I needed, I needed that love of God. That God loved me just like I was. And if I didn't make it, I know where I'm going. Can I have an amen or what? Only John records these. Think about this. I love it. You know, as I read on, and we could go on for a couple of days, but I won't. But, you know, John, the thing I love about all this is that he writes it from memory. At the end of his life, he writes it down, the end of his life, and he's writing these things down. 
So we need to close. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You know, you might enjoy the message, but actually what is the Spirit of God saying to you? Well, I tell you what you need to hear today. The disciple whom Jesus loved is you. You are the disciple whom Jesus loves. And if you get a revelation of that, no matter what's happening out there in the world, you get a revelation like John said, but I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. They tried to kill him. They tried to boil him in oil. They tried to poison him. They banished him to Patmos and think that he would die. And he survives it all. To be an old man, the only disciple who doesn't die a martyr's death at the end of his life, 103 years of age, I believe, certainly over 100. And they say, John, come up and speak to us. He walks up, takes the microphone. Well, maybe not. He looks at the people and he says, love one another. They said, why would you just say that? He says, because that's the commandment that our Lord gave us. Simply to love one another. Father, I just thank you for my brothers and my sisters, the homes, the families that are represented Pastor Dora, Lord, Daphne, all the others, Lord, I just speak a blessing over their lives. I call them the head and not the tail and above and not beneath. That they may no longer be open and susceptible to the devil's ways. Whatever they turn their hands to shall prosper and succeed. The enemy shall no longer find room to come into our our homes and our families and rob and kill and destroy. And Father, I ask... I ask in Jesus' name that you give them a revelation of your agape love, that you love them just exactly as they are. They are the disciple whom Jesus loves. And Father, we just give you the praise and we give you the glory. It's all about you, love, Lord. It's not about us. That we would bring Jesus back and make him the centre of our lives, the centre of our attention, the centre of our churches, the centre of our worship. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory. I thank you for that love, that perfect, unconditional love that you have for us. It's called agape love. We worship you, Lord. Magnify your name. While your heads are bowed, just a moment. Is there anybody here this morning that you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord? I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm asking you to pass from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I won't embarrass anybody. I won't drag you down the front. I'll pray for you right where you're sitting if you just slip your hand up and say, would you, would you pray for me? I need that in my life. Anyone at all, I'll pray for you right where you're sitting. Thank you, Jesus. Then would you stand up with me real quickly? Pastor, it's all right if I just have to pray for some people. Would you stand up? Come on, everybody stand up with me. I, I'd just love to pray for some people. And I, I, I don't know. And can I just say... Don't feel guilty, obligated. You don't have to come out the front. That's called manipulation. It's when the Spirit of God speaks to you yourself. Is that right? That's when you respond. And if you know deep in your heart, you've lost that first love. Remember what, what John says when he writes to the seven churches? And he, first of all, starts off and commends them on their things. And he says, but I have this one thing. You've lost your first love. And I don't, hey, a couple of years ago, I was going through the same thing myself. I felt burnt out. I felt, you know, you just feel empty. 
And I realised I'd lost my first love. You know, and so I got back and I had that revelation of grace and how much God loves me. And all of a sudden, it fires you up again to go on. doesn't matter what's going on in the world, what's coming against us, if you know God loves you. So if that's you, you really need a touch. You really need that reigniting. You really need a revelation of how much God loves you.